Now let's take our copy of God's Word. Let's turn back to the text that we read earlier. You'll find that's John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Again, if you'd like to use the Bibles provided for you there, that's page 897. Now the text that I read, this text from John 11 is a unique text, I'm sure, for Easter. I have chosen it, though, with much, much prayer and thought because this is a unique Easter. It's a unique Easter especially for, for me and my family. I, I don't know that we've ever perhaps had a, an Easter more filled with the meaning of Easter uh, than this one. And I'm looking forward to sharing a little bit about that with you personally in just a few minutes. But the thought that's on my heart to share with you from this passage is the truth of a resurrected life. A resurrected life. I'd like to talk to you about a resurrected life, Lazarus' life, and Lloyd's life. Both resurrected lives. As we begin, I want us to zoom out a little bit and then we'll zoom back in to the specifics of this text. But as we zoom out, of course, we're in the Gospel of John. If you are familiar with the four Gospels, you know that John is radically different than the other Gospels. As a matter of fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are so similar in their presentation of Jesus that they're called the synoptic gospels, which means the, the same view. They, they give us a presentation of the life of Jesus. But the gospel of John, you don't go very far until you know this is radically different. John is writing decades later. He's an old man. It's near the end of the first century and he is led by the Spirit of God to write this gospel account. But it's not really a, a gospel that's an, an explanation of Jesus and his life as much as it is an interpretation of his life. John wrote to make sure that people would know who Jesus is. And that's the reason that John doesn't begin his gospel with the birth of Jesus or the baptism of Jesus. No, he begins where Jesus begins in eternity past. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so John is writing to give us an explanation and an interpretation of who Jesus is so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing, we may have life in his name. That's the reason he wrote. And in order to give this interpretation of the life of Jesus, John picked, of all the miracles of Jesus, he picked seven Seven miracles. And the word that's used for miracle in John is not the, the usual word for miracle. It's actually a word for sign. A sign. 
he picked seven miracles which were signs of who Jesus is and what he becomes in the life of people who trust him. Now the last sign that John tells us about is the last miracle of Jesus, his greatest miracle, the miracle of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now what I'd like us to do now is just zoom in a little bit on this passage. Zoom in in the situation in which John records what happened. Now if you zoom into this account, you find out that the situation has a very dark mood. The, the mood surrounding this is, is, first of all, one of bewilderment, bewilderment, because Jesus knew that his friend was sick. He knew that Lazarus was sick, and he waited and waited and waited and did not come, and the disciples were bewildered. How can our master not come to someone he loves and he knows is sick. They were devoted to him, but they were bewildered. Just like some people here tonight. There are some folks here tonight, you are devoted to Jesus, but you're bewildered by him right now. Because what is happening in your life makes no sense whatsoever. And then there's a, a mood of discouragement. You, you could call it devoted discouragement because Jesus finally, after waiting several days, says, well, now let's go to Lazarus. Let's go to Bethany. And the disciples know that Bethany is near Jerusalem. And the last time they were in Jerusalem, the people tried to stone Jesus. And Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, reminds him of that. And Jesus says, we're going anyway. And then Thomas, he utters these great words of faith back in verse 16. Did you ever read these? Verse 16, so Thomas called the twins, said to his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas is the Eeyore of the disciples. <laughs> Thomas is one of those disciples that can brighten any room by just leaving it. <laughs> you ever meet a disciple like that? Don't look around right now. <laughs> they lighten things up by just walking out. But he's devoted, but he's discouraged. Like some people here. Devoted followers of Jesus, but bewildered and downright discouraged. It seems like things are going from bad to worse. And then when Jesus finally gets to Bethany, there is a mood of devoted disappointment. Devoted disappointment. We read in verse 21 and verse 32 how the two sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary, who Jesus so dearly loved, 
each of them comes to him with the same statement. They say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They're disappointed. They know Jesus can heal. They knew he could heal. That's the reason they asked him to come. And he waited and waited and intentionally waited until it was too late. And they're disappointed in him. Like some here this evening. You have been disappointed. And what makes it so difficult is right now you're not disappointed so much in a person here on this earth. But you're quite frankly disappointed with the Lord. And that's hard. But sometimes that's just where we are, right? Well, into this atmosphere of gloom, finally, some light comes. And the light comes as spoken light. It's, it's the light that is spoken by the light of the world, Jesus, when into this mood of disappointment and bewilderment, into this mood of discouragement, Jesus speaks some light. He gives a message. And it's a message of divine revelation. He speaks. And when he speaks, Jesus lightens things up. Has he ever done that for you? <laughs> One word from Jesus can turn the lights on in your dark heart. He lightens the mood because Martha comes to him and says I know that if you'd have been here he would not have died I know that you're, whatever you ask of the Lord he's able to do and Jesus said your brother is going to rise again and then she says well I know he's going to rise I believe in the resurrection I know he's going to rise at the resurrection of the last day and then Jesus turns the lights on when he makes a revelation about who he is as a person, he says, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The resurrection's not an event. Eternal life is not a place you go. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. And then he says some more things to Martha that gives even more revelation, a deeper revelation about a promise. She already knew the promise of the resurrection. She believed in the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. But then Jesus added these words. He said, and whoever believes in me, though he die... Yet he shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Never die. He is saying there is no death for anyone who's connected with me in faith, they never die. And then having shared that message of light and life, he having declared it, Jesus then demonstrated it. 
He demonstrated it. With the miracle of his life-giving power, he just said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Now let me show you. And in a dramatic demonstration, Jesus went to the cemetery where his friend Lazarus was buried. It was a situation that was filled with helplessness. There was nothing anyone could do for these, these last several ways, days. There was nothing anyone could do. There was nothing to do. It's helpless in the face of death. And now that he's dead, and not having just died an hour ago or a little while ago, he's been dead four days. Now this is hopelessness. This is complete hopelessness. The Jews at that time were taught by the rabbis that the spirit of a de deceased person stayed close to the body for three days. But after three days, when the decay of the body began, the spirit would no longer recognize his or her own body and would leave and go to paradise. That's what was taught. People believed that a spirit, the spirit of a person might hang around their body for three days. How long did Jesus wait? Four days. Four days. So that it is completely and utterly hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. But not for the Lord of life. Amen. Not hopeless for him. Jesus walks into the cemetery and he says, take away the stone. Take away the stone. Martha even tries to stop him because of what's going to be experienced if that stone is removed. And he says, remove the stone, take it away, and there death is seen in all of its, of its terror and corruption. There you have in that cemetery, listen, the showdown of the ages, the prince of life facing the power of death. But death is no match for the prince of life. Jesus stares into total human hopelessness, death and decay, and he speaks a word of life, a word. He doesn't have to move an arm. He does not have to use any kind of instrument. He just says, Lazarus, come out. Maybe you've heard it well said that if he had not identified Lazarus, everybody in the cemetery would have gotten up. <laughs> Lazarus, Come out. And Lazarus, at the word of Jesus, lived again. His heart began to beat. Those dead lungs started to take in air. That flesh became fresh again. The brain began to function again. And 
shuffling out of that tomb with his arms wrapped and his feet wrapped and a covering over his face came shuffling Lazarus. Now that's the demonstration of life in Christ. But I was thinking about that this week. You see, this demonstration of life in Christ, so dramatic, resulted in a daily demonstration of life in Christ. Think about it. For the rest of his life, Lazarus was a living demonstration of the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. Every day, he is a man who was dead, now alive, walking around. He was a living epistle, seen and read by all men and women of the living, life-giving power of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I've always chuckled at this just a little bit. If you look at chapter 12, just the page over, verse 2, says that after this, there was a party that was given, and Jesus was invited to the dinner. And verse 2 so says, they gave a dinner for him, there Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. That would make for interesting dinner conversation. <laughs> you can imagine... You just looking at Is he still with us? Is... I mean, a few days earlier, he's lying in a grave, and now he's reclining at a table with Jesus. For the rest of his life, it's like that. Rest of his life, people coming up say, Are you him? Are you Lazarus? They want to touch his hand, they want to feel his face. He's a living testimony. All of his life, he was a testimony of a resurrected life. Now, friends, I want to tell you, Jesus has been doing this now for 2,000 years because what he did physically for Lazarus is what he does spiritually for every person who trusts in Jesus Christ. They are dead, but they become alive. Jesus, for 2,000 years, has been raising people from the dead. Dead in our trespass and sin, but God, in his mercy, makes known to us the life-giving power of Jesus. And we come alive. Jesus has been doing this for 2,000 years. He's doing it every day. Every day, Jesus is doing that. Today, he's doing it. My prayer is, right now, today will be resurrection day for some of you. Resurrection. You see, here you have the life of someone who would have seemed to have been hopeless and helpless. Nothing can be done. But the one who is hopeless and helpless and nothing can be done, that person becomes a resurrected life.
If you'd permit me just for a few minutes, I'd like to personally zoom in if I could to tell you that the Lord in his grace takes lives that seem to be helpless and hopeless and in the world's eyes without meaning and many would say useless and he makes those lives living testimonies of Christ, resurrected lives. The resurrected life of Lazarus and the resurrected life I'd like to share with you about my brother Lloyd. Lloyd, my oldest brother, passed away this week. As a matter of fact, while we are worshiping here, his body is just a few hundred yards from here at the funeral home down the street. And we'll have the receiving friends Friday, uh, Monday evening rather here, and then his burial will be in Kentucky on Tuesday. My oldest brother's birth was one of human suffering and human negligence. My mom's caring of him was completely normal. Everything was fine. But mom's delivery was very, very hard. Call after call was made to the doctor. The doctor couldn't come. He was busy, so he said to give shots to keep the labor from proceeding. And he was so busy because he was at the country club playing golf. He made it to the hospital after a lengthy period of time. My mom in agony and struggling. He came and spoke to my dad. My dad said he could smell the alcohol in his breath. My dad told me many times, he said, I knew I had truly become a Christian when I could see that man on the street and not hate him anymore. Mom delivered my brother Lloyd because of all the pressure, lack of oxygen in the delivery. He suffered brain injury and had cerebral palsy all of his life. When he's about two years of age, they began to notice, of course, that he wasn't developing properly in speech or in walking. And the doctor's recommendation was saying, listen, this is going to be hard to raise this child. There's hospitals for children like this. You, you, need, to, you need to put him in, in one of those. I can, I can give you references. And my dad went to visit those. And of course, this is about 1951 or 52. And they, they were not pleasant places to be. My dad said, I cannot do this. I cannot. Polson, he said, the doctor said, it's going to be hard, hard. He said, listen, my son is a blessing. He's a blessing to us. And for the rest of his life, my dad's nickname for my brother was Bless. He's a blessing. Now, the doctor was right. It was, it was a life of much hardship, especially for my mom and dad. There were limited resources to care for a severely disabled child. 
constant, total care. Every bathroom, meals, always. The doctor was right, but I want to tell you, dad was righter. <laughs> he, Lloyd was a blessing, a blessing. It, he brought so much joy. I cannot begin to tell you. My earliest memory, I'm the youngest, he's six years older than me. My earliest memory of my brother Lloyd is with him with an apple in his hand, hopping around the backyard with a big smile on his face, singing a song in the language that he created. We just called it the language of Lloyd. <laughs> he loved music. My Aunt Frances lived with us. She was about 19, 20, 21 when she lived there. And she had all the songs of the 50s, early 60s. Lloyd loved them. He loved music. He loved gospel music. Listened to it for hours. And Lloyd had a devious sense of humor. <laughs> he liked to collect things. He liked to collect things like the, the tips on aerosol cans, you know, the little plastic thing. He had a real interest in those. And you'd go in to get you some spray for deodorant or something else, and it would be gone, and you would know Lloyd had been there. And I don't know how many times we had to get mom and dad to get him to show us where he had hidden that stuff. And he'd find, go some little corner pull back a piece of wood or something, and there'd be his little rat hole that he collected these things. He, he especially enjoyed aggravating my mother. My mom loved him and he loved her, but they had distinct personality differences. <laughs> my mom was a very proper lady. She cared for him every day. But back then, he just got a kick out of aggravating her. And I, the epic one that we all talk about to this day, me and Lonnie, my old other brother, one day we remember the church ladies came to visit my mom. The church ladies. And so this is back in the late 60s or so. And the church ladies came. They got their little pocketbooks. And they've got the, you know, their hair up, you know. And got a little blue tint to it. And they're... <laughs> They're sitting there with their pot, and they're all dressed up. The church ladies have come to make a visit, and mom's got coffee for them. And my brother Lloyd comes out, and they're sitting there sipping their coffee. And he says, poop, poop, poop. I believe that's the first time I've ever said poop in a sermon. <laughs> My brother, he knew how, he had a way of going, and like a little touch, this means I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but he had the church ladies there. <laughs> oh, Lonnie and I about passed out laughing. <laughs> had to leave the house, and the church ladies were just, <laughs> <laughs> But he, he had so much love, and he was so loved. He became the neighborhood's child. Uh, we would go to the neighborhood candy store. 
we'd take our nickels and dimes to get candy. The lady behind the counter would say, hey, here, you take this to your brother Lloyd. Neighbor across the street, his name Benny Hudson, every Friday until he passed away, brought my brother Lloyd two cartons of double colas. And they went beside his bed in the corner and woe be to any brother <laughs> who went near his double colas. He was not having it. And mom was not having it either. I remember going out and trick or treat. Year after year. Me and my brother, we'd have our bags. We'd be all dressed up. Mom would say, hey, you got to take Lloyd's bag. Oh, mom, no, you got to take Lloyd's bag. And I'd go and they'd say, oh, we want to give you some things for Lloyd. Choo, 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 choo. <laughs> I'd come home, my little bag dragging Lloyd's. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the haul he made trick or treat. <laughs> Unbelievable. But there was so much also in our home that was sacred. Like I said, he loved gospel music. My dad, after he became a devout follower of Jesus, he read the scripture and read it to Lloyd regularly, read it to us, prayed at the table. And the most sacred moment of my entire childhood, up until... I went away to college. Never will I forget these moments. There was just a door between my bedroom, me and Lonnie were sharing a bedroom, and Lloyd's bedroom, not even a hallway, just his bed right there, our bed right there. Our bed's just inside the other door. Every night, my dad would come to Lloyd's room. He'd kneel down next to his bed, and he would pray out loud. And thank God for Lloyd. Thank God for all of his blessings. Me and Lonnie might be listening to the radio, but the radio had to go down. We might be laughing, but we had to get quiet. And I want to tell you, hear your dad praying and thanking God for the blessing of a son like Lloyd. Well, years went by. My brother... And me then finally left home. Mom and dad continued to care for Lloyd year after year after year. In 1992, we moved mom, dad, and Lloyd down here. I remember mom and dad, because of Lloyd's situation, they, they couldn't even come pick out the house. I had to send them little Polaroid shots of the house I'd picked out for them. They never saw the house until they pulled up. My dad lived until 1998, and they just lived down the street from us. And we thought, what will we do after dad's passing? Mom can't take care of him. Lloyd, Lloyd's too much. What are we going to do? But I don't know, how could you ever doubt that the Lord loves his own more than we could ever love them? About three months after my dad passed away, and we, we were trying to find a place for Lloyd to live, and where he could be cared for. A couple joined our church and named uh, the Frankies, Glenn and Shirley Frankie. They said, have you ever heard of a ministry called the Shepherds I, up in Wisconsin? I said, oh, yes, yes, we've heard of that. I, I, it's, I know, it's a wonderful place. 
She said, well, uh, my husband and I are the founders of that ministry. <laughs> and they had just joined our church. And so Lloyd went for 14 years to live at the shepherd's ministry. And he thrived there. He made friendships. He, he grew in learning. He became their chief paper shredder with a machine. We thought he just shredded paper for fun. He, he got a job doing it. He got a paper route. They'd help him, and he'd, in the car, he'd get to put the papers in the paper box. Five years ago, when his mobility and stability from his weakened legs from cerebral palsy required him to have to leave Shepherd's, we, we did not know what to do, so we were trying to have him placed in a, in a nice group home near where Shepherds was in Wisconsin. And the state of Wisconsin said, well, he's not, a, he's not a citizen of the state of Wisconsin. Even though he's lived there 14 years and he's paid taxes, he's not a citizen because I'm his caregiver and his, I'm his custodial provider and I live in Tennessee. So we started looking in Tennessee for assistance. And Tennessee said he, he's not a citizen of the state of Tennessee. He's a citizen of the state of Wisconsin. Because he's lived in Wisconsin 14 years. He's paid taxes. So he was a man without a country. We were so upset what to do. For three or four months he lived in a nursing home in Milwaukee in this no man's land. And finally, amazing answer of prayer through a connection here at the church of a retired nurse who had a caregiving home here in Farragut. We were able to go get my brother Lloyd and we went to pick him up and just the Lord's little thank you on purpose, I was able to pick him up on my birthday and bring him back to Knoxville. And he lived in this wonderful place for the next four years. Two weeks ago, Lloyd became very weak, been fighting several infections, and they got into his blood system and became septic. And he went to the hospital, and uh, things just didn't go well. The antibiotics did not work. And we stayed with him these last couple of weeks, 10 days or so. But even while he was there, he was the light of the hospital. People coming to see him. People talking about what a gentle giant he was because he was a big man, but so gentle. Some of the folks from our church came over this past Sunday night we, we sang hymns and praise songs and we also sang some of the silly songs that he loved and he just was so excited by that. But then he grew tired and we were there when this past Wednesday morning at 3 a.m. in the most gentle and peaceful way he slipped away from that old body and into the presence of Jesus. Amen. Lloyd's body. It's about 500 yards up the street. But I want to tell you. 
He's more alive than anybody in this room. Lloyd's life displayed the love of God. I can't tell you how. I can't explain it all to you. But I will tell you this. I'm becoming a very old man. But in all my years, no one has ever expressed the fruit of the Spirit like my brother Lloyd. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But that was of the Lord. That is the power of a resurrected life. Resurrected life. Lazarus came to life and he lived as a testimony of a resurrected man. My brother Lloyd, by God's grace, the testimony of Christ in a life. I wonder, have you ever been resurrected? Do you have just enough religion to make you miserable when you're in the world and make you miserable when you're in church? So you're miserable all the time. Do you know the power of the life of Jesus Christ? Friend, I want you to know you can't go beyond the power of the grace of Jesus. You can't get more dead than Lazarus was dead. There's dead and then there's graveyard dead. He was dead. Corrupted dead. But Jesus brought him to life. And you may think that you are the most desperate sinner. And you may be a terrible sinner. We're all terrible sinners before a holy God. But I want to tell you, greater than your sin is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever believes in him has eternal life. What's your answer to Jesus' question? Do you remember the question? I am the resurrection and life. He that believes in me, even though he may die, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And what was Martha's answer? The answer of a true resurrected woman. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into this world. Let's bow our heads. Our heads are bowed, dear friend, right now. Are you in a time of bewilderment and disappointment and discouragement? Right now, right now, as we quiet ourselves... Bring that bewilderment, bring that disappointment, bring that discouragement to Jesus who loves you, who will come to you with life and light. Bring it to Christ. And friend, you may feel so far from God. You may have gone so far astray. But if you've heard the voice of Jesus... If you hear 
him calling your name. You feel that drawing power. Do not turn away. That is the life-giving power of Christ. Turn to Christ. Right now, call upon him. Call upon the Lord in faith. And you will receive his life. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would bring life from the dead, life from bewilderment, life and light into discouragement. Do thy great work, I pray, O Lord God, my Savior. I ask that you will show yourself mighty even in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen.